Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Back in the Spark FM studios to talk Crystal Palace, MK Dons, and no doubt what's gone wrong with J Dong Won. And has something gone right with Connor Wiggum? This is Wise Men Say. Thanks for all who attended last week's live uh, podcast at the ISIS. Um, I think it went all right, uh, Gareth. Are you happy with it? Not too bad. <laughs> Just lower the mic down there. Not too. Uh, get with it. Get with it. Um, I'm delighted to see our guests today. I'm joined by James Hunter from the Evening Chronicle. You're right, James. Yes. Good evening, James. Is at the White. You were the live podcast last week. I was. Um, yeah. I thought it was very impressive. Really thank enjoyed you. it. Thank you very much. Really Nothing to do it. with me, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> Gareth, Gareth uh, led the line very well, I thought, with all the equipment. By standing there and doing nothing. No, you ate, you you were bang on the equipment. I wouldn't have a clue. That goes <laughs> over my head, all that stuff. You there was criticisms online of the quality of the podcast. I know. But <laughs> for three people and that, you know, they say that if three people complain, it's like 3,000 people complaining. Really? So that's a fact. Well, <laughs> I've had a lot more compliments anyway. So it was like being at the stadium on Tuesday where there was 18,000 people complaining. So that's like what? 180,000 mm. people complain. <laughs> yeah, possibly. <laughs> also joined by Craig Clark from the Rock Report. Um, Craig, you alright? I am, thank you. Craig sparked up the whole um, the whole Phil Bardsley dispa- uh, debate on um, last Thursday. I'm doing gestures to tell people to come <laughs> closer to the mic. People's going to be listening like to this I'm now thinking, where's the floor gone? Eh? Everybody's just loads of eye signals we'll and contacts. It, everything's, gone. everything's gone a pot here. Keep it loose, natural. Right, we're going to briefly talk about Southampton but we're more or less going to merge the MK Dons game with the Southampton game because it seems seems a bit silly to focus on the Southampton game too much when we've had a, a more recent game to discuss um, and we'll just try and glue the things together really um, if we're going to concentrate <laughs> on general performances we're going to we're going to scare ourselves to death Craig here aren't we because let's face it Southampton did the batter us the batter us to an extent I would say Um, um been 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 hyper cynical. Um, the maybe you know they were on top. Let's put it that way. For seventy five minutes against uh, Division Three side, in respect, um, in one respect, things weren't going great. So uh, we'll be positive. The last fifteen minutes of the MK Dons game was that things finally clicking into place. I think if you were being ultra positive, <laughs> well, we're going to try. We're going to um, have to start with that. We're going to have to try and make you know make it some positive in somewhere. One of it was the second goal, wasn't it? Uh, Wickham's Wickham's first goal. That was a, a nice piece of football. Um, well worked. Nice to see Saluska getting down the down the right hand side and squaring the ball from inside the box. I think we had what six players in the box. Can't remember the last time that happened uh, in a Sunderland attack. Must be some time since we had that sort of number many, board, numbers. many bodies forward. Yeah. Just doesn't seem to happen for us, which I think was again that w- although people 
praised the Fulham performance. That was one of the issues we had there, I think. We just didn't create anything in the box. Against Southampton, we had a, a handful. Mm. And even against MK Dons, the, the massive deflection for one of the goals and a moment of individual brilliance for Johnson for the fourth. It's hard to say, did the team really come together? I'm not 100% mm-hmm. sure. I suppose the proof's going to be in, a few, in, in on Saturday, probably. Uh, bring James Hunter in. James... If you know, if we're being honest, a lot of sides are going to go to Southampton and struggle this season, aren't they? they? I think that they're looking quite good at home. Also, you know, I don't care what players say and what people say that players, how players will react because Paolo De Canio is their manager. When a side plays at home against a side two divisions below them, they subconsciously let their performance drivel- levels drop. In my opinion, mm-hmm. MK Dons will have been at a hundred percent. Am I clutching the straws or are these positives? Well, uh, so first of all, to deal with the point you made about Southampton, I mean, I think Southampton this season have, have strengthened significantly over the summer. They were, they were good last season at home. Uh, don't forget when uh, Mauricio Pochettino came in in January. Since then, I think they've beaten Manchester City and Chelsea and uh, Liverpool at home. So they didn't do too bad at St Mary's um, at the back, back end of last season. Um as I say, they've, they've strengthened significantly over the summer and they will be a difficult team to beat. Uh, quite a few people um, are of the opinion that they might even break into the top ten this season, including Paolo Di Canio. And, and I think, you know, with the players they've got, they are they are a threat. And, and if you score goals, then, then you'll do well in this division because there are a lot of teams in the middle of uh, the Premier League um, who are much of a muchness, and if you've got the edge in terms of goal scoring, then you you can do you can fare quite well there. So there's certainly nothing to worry about for that the Southampton performance. They went they, they defended for the lives at times, but they got a goal, they got a one-one draw. And it was nothing to really worry about there. It was, was almost it? a mirror image of the Fulham game. Sunderland haven't didn't get what they deserved against Fulham, and you could argue that Southampton didn't really get what mm-hmm. they deserved against Sunderland. Um, you know, so in in that in that sense, uh, I don't think it's too too much to worry about at this stage. It's still a very uh, very early day. Is the team's still coming together. Um, probably more of a worry would be uh, Tuesday night and the MK Dons. Um, I know you mentioned about um, playing a team th- uh, in the third division, very old school, like yeah. it. Yeah, retro. Yeah, um, retro, yeah. <laughs> retro <laughs> like it. Ensley League stuff. Um, but uh, don't forget that um, MK Dons made six changes themselves mm-hmm. on Tuesday night, um, as many as Sunderland did. Um, so you could argue that it wasn't even their first team. Um, mm-hmm. Which which is a bit of a worrying worrying sign. And for seventy five minutes, um, Sunderland were absolutely dreadful. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that stage, at two 0 down, seventy five minutes gone, uh, things could easily have turned nasty. Uh, things would shaping up for the team to be booed off. And uh, it would and, have been uh, interesting uh, t- uh, addressing by the Canyon at the end of the game. Wouldn't it? Very much so. Very much so. So um, the last twelve minutes plus injury time. I think it was about six minutes injury time. Uh, was just incredible stuff you know the goals came flying in it was uh, it was a sort of a return to um, you know real sort of good old days when, whenever you can look back and think <laughs> when they were but that, but it seemed that way um, and that was really exciting and gripping stuff but the the way that Sunderland finished that game you can't allow that to paper over the cracks yeah, exactly. of, of what paper over the cracks is, is probably the, the phrase I've heard a lot um, possibly since the second goal went in mm. Um I, I've always maintained, Gareth, and I know I said this to you the day after the game, I'd be interested to know what people think, that I sensed all the way through the Milton Keynes game that the players were a bit anxious, a bit nervous, and I always felt that were Sunderland to score one goal, 
we would have. I was confident we were going to progress in the tie as long as it, we had left ourselves, you know, ten minutes at least, which we did. As soon as we pulled the goal back, I kind of knew we'd progress because for me, I just feel like this. The side had a new look to it. It's got a new look to it. They look a bit nervous, look a bit anxious, and I felt that a goal at the stadium, well, you know, it was of paramount importance, and I just felt that that the the players relaxed and that things just. It's finally clicked. I know Craig's saying we won't know if it clicked, and I'm not talking. I'm not talking long term, but I'm talking about in that game. I just sensed they needed a goal to relax a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, certainly Altidore is a prime example of that. I think in the first half, you know, he he really struggled um, to get hold of the ball and and do the things he's good at. Even if he's not scoring, you can see that he's really good at holding the ball, um, laying it off, sort of backing in and, and, and fighting off defenders whereas that seemed to escape him a bit and he started to get frustrated but once he uh, once he got his goal he seemed to gain a yard of pace and he was all over the place and you know I think you know was Larson the difference I mean Larson came on and maybe shooed things up a bit in the middle and just gave gave other players the opportunity to play with that that freedom maybe um, I know that I know that Decanio likes him because I'm not sure of if that. I'll ever admit that Seb Larson changed the game no, I know what you mean no. you're probably alright but I don't want to admit it he did he did I mean, he did David Vaughan David Vaughan keeps David Vaughan keeps um, getting this chance to stake his claim James <laughs> doesn't he and he, he keeps he just keeps throwing it away well the thing is David Vaughan's one of one of those these players that uh, it looks lovely when he's on the ball and he's passing the ball he's got a great range of passing but he's another small midfielder and, and that's what Sunderland don't need at the moment Sunderland have got too many small midfields or have had too many small midfields people at home in a midfield three aisles yeah. Yeah. Um, you'd, um, to me he can play a part but if you're looking for, he's not going to change a game for you um and, and I would say that Seb Larson did change the game when he came yeah, on. He, I d- thought he did. He I th- did. I thought he, he was very impressive when he came on. What we um, we're talking about individual players' performances. I just want to touch on Altador there because before we move on, I thought that <laughs> we're going to get on the G in a minute. But I just <laughs> if, G, if G can look at anybody, it, it's Josie Altador because <coughs> Gareth Josie Altador, as you say, things. I, we were talking again after the Southampton game and I was saying I was a bit concerned how slow he was getting the ball out of his feet mm. moving it on a lot of people said this that the Dutch league was slow and this might be a problem it looked like it against Southampton his little layoffs weren't reaching the um, the targets but in both games he didn't change You know, he was true to himself mm. he didn't change his game he kept making the same runs his runs have always looked okay to be fair and he kept believing in himself kept believing in himself he got that goal and all of a sudden things settled down for him G Don Wong, he need, he needs to take a leaf out of that book seriously. Because let's yeah, we're, we're going to get onto the supporters' reaction in a minute, but we'll just start with the performance itself. And you know, I'll be honest, it's one of the worst I can remember mm. ever. He just went, didn't he? Like it was just like watching somebody just collapse on stage. Like after that, he gave the ball away. He actually did that against Southampton at the weekend. He gave the ball away in exactly the same way, in exactly the same part of the pitch, and we got away with it on that occasion. Um, but we didn't. Uh, I mean, as well, Manone. What on, what oh on earth God. was he doing <laughs> for that goal? It, it went. It, it almost went through him, and he he just fell on his knees. But yeah, I, I, he never recovered, and he he just couldn't. He just lost it, and I thought you, you had to feel for him. He, I mean, he, he he was terrible. But you know, they don't go out there to be that bad, and he'll be mortified with his performance because with the Cessnion situation. He's probably looking at that thinking, and he's been ahead of Wickham. He's picked him. He's brought him on twice ahead of Wickham in, Wickham in games, 
so he's probably thinking this is my big opportunity to state my state my claim in the team and oh it just went really badly wrong for him bit stubbornness Craig like I'm saying about what Alador had because Alador has just kept going kept going and it's very stereotypical American isn't it to have the self belief to, yeah, well. to, to keep going and keep you know when it's looking that your performance isn't what it should be to just he just he, I don't want to use a really old cliche but plugging away is one that comes to mind because <laughs> he just he just as I say he just stayed true to himself and he, gee gee clearly didn't I know he's a lot younger but his head went a little bit didn't it went well, a little bit <laughs> well is he actually that much younger I mean I'm not sure he is well is I, probably not actually probably um, not. But a lot but less experience certainly, well, a lot less experience yeah, yeah. and he certainly looks a lot more mentally fragile mm-hmm. as Gareth saying after he gave the ball away for that goal I don't know if anyone else noticed but Altador was literally screaming at him from the centre spot get here to take the, mm. the, the kick off and Jay just looked like this little boy yeah. lost completely after that he's gone I don't it's hard to judge what exactly his game is we hear a lot of things from Di Canio and others who've managed him about his technical ability and people have watched him in the Bundesliga yeah exactly and he's obviously done something there to show them that that's the equivalent of what the scouting team's been doing finding these players well we don't need to find him he already belongs to us mm-hmm. but when he's actually on the pitch for in a red and white mm. shirt I, I don't know whether he's not settled in the area and he's, his head's just completely not there because he's not happy at all it's very hard to judge it's, in, it's interesting what you say about sort of what to expect from him because when he came in people were saying he can play from the left and he plays up front and then when he played for us he played as almost like a, a, tar- a target man and then he went there then he went to, to Germany and played in central midfield, central midfield yeah. and then he's come back and now he's playing off the front mm. so in that sort of floating role he, yeah. he, but he's just you know what what he offered what is nothing, going on there did he? What, what, <laughs> what, what, where can he play it doesn't work for me I'm, I mean uh, we've seen him over the last two two seasons two years at various different levels I've seen him um, I've seen him at first team level I've seen him play for the under 21s um, notably against Newcastle last year when he, when he was terrible I just don't see it in him if I'm if I'm quite honest mm-hmm. I really don't think that he's he's got what it takes to succeed at Premier League level um here here in England he may do fine in in the Bundesliga or or somewhere else on the continent where it's a more technical game and less physical but I can't see him uh making a career in the top flight here Paolo Di Canio rates him very highly um he or the club should I say um turned down a big bid for G this summer a big bid um, for a player who's now in the last year of his contract uh, and you have to ask yourself what do you do at the end of this year are you going to give him a new deal or are you going to let him leave for nothing or, f- or for very little money for compensation um, I can't get my head round round that idea but, but Di Canio's adamant that, that he has got a role to play for Sunderland this season um, well, strange, I can't. I can't get my head around it. <laughs> I, must I don't think anybody can. Mm. It's a bit. It's, it's, it's and I don't blame you. Like you say, nobody goes out there to have a, have a nightmare, to have, have, have a, a, a poor performance. You know, I think he's doing the best that he can, but he's, he's just adrift in this league, and that's not his fault. It's just, just the, the way of things. The nature of the game. <laughs> yeah. Physical nature of the game. On, on, the, on the topic of strikers as a whole, I mean, there's something there's something wrong there. Anyway, like the way they're playing together, whoever's playing off the main man. They're not close enough. They're nowhere near close enough. So if Altidore's going to be this holding player and bring other people in, I mean, he who is he on, bringing he's, in? He's talking about start. he's talking about Fletcher, 
being like the man who's going to play off Altidore. Great. And hopefully, I don't know, if, is he telling them to play this far apart? Or is, it's you know, one is, is Fletcher going to be, is Fletcher when he comes in just going to naturally take up that position because he knows how to play the game? He's always he's always sort of been an advocate for the 4-4-2, De Canio, so people have said who, who've reviewed his tactics and the like, and and yet it seemed like he was shoehorning Sessegnon into this position because that's his position, he plays behind the striker, but now he's with him playing G there as well. I found it a little bit surprising. The strikers were closer together when Conor Wickham come on. We'll get on to Conor Wickham in a second, but I will get on to the reaction from the Sunderland fans when G was substituted. Gareth, uh, I know I passed out a, an agenda we all follow loosely here, but we we kind of improvise most of it. And three words I've I've jotted down: um, embarrassing, unhelpful, unjustifiable. Gareth, I thought it was disgraceful. After that, like to be honest, it, I mean, some of the people who were sitting behind me were some of the worst supporters I've ever experienced at a match, and that's that's a real shame. Well, there were some terrible ones where I, mean, I was sitting. They, w- they didn't, they didn't, they wouldn't celebrate any of the goals because they were so de- devastated that would come back into the game. And when we went three two up, they just he was literally sitting there with his arms folded, gutted because he was basically wrong. That's and, and, and it's absolutely, honestly, some of the stuff. I mean, the only person who didn't get any flack was the. The uh, trainer, when he came on to get, administer some treatment to somebody, everybody, could, nobody could do a thing right. That's put right. it in the almost, you know, when Wickham scored, you'd almost argue, oh, he, could, he put it in the wrong side of the goal. It was that level of criticism; it was ridiculous. But um, you it's know, I think it was just, it's not something you see a lot of, and it's not, it's, it, it's, it's, it's not. not necessary. I can't say why people think that's going to help, and I know during the game it can be a, bit, a little bit different because the Canio mentioned, you know, the, the fact that he does something wrong. You know the the reaction of the crowd, but it can be hard sometimes to you know to suppress those you know those groans and the like when, when something happens because if somebody gives a simple ball away, it's a natural it's a natural thing to sort of groan about it, and that collectively thousands of people doing that at the same time, you're going to hear it. You can't always be like, oh, let's all be positive and everything, but it's different when you actually make that substitution. You know, for for me that that crossed the line. It? The I, I've, I've never been more. I've never been more embarrassed with Sunderland fans, really. Um, something that you've mentioned before, Gareth, about when Niall Quinn got spat at by that fan once, mm. and he was, you know, he thought that his time up was up at Sunderland, and that's that's the level for me that this is. It might not seem as bad, but that was only one man. This was thousands of yeah. people. So you'll have to help me out here because uh, I sit somewhere between planet Earth and the Moon in the new press <laughs> box. Um, <laughs> so when G Dong Won was substituted, from where I was sitting, it sounded like. An almighty cheer went up from yeah. from the fans yeah. that he was being substituted. Yeah. It was a cheer rather rather yeah, than a well, boo. Yeah, well, there was some boos near me. Definite boos as it well. Was, there was bo- a bit of both. It was like a massive ironic cheer from most yeah. of the ground, but then there was boos as he was leaving. You as see, he was leaving as well. To me, I I would interpret that as as being a, a cheer that De Canio has 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 taken the guy off. Will the, rather player, than will the player say it like that though? Well, <sighs> I, I just think I, to me I would read read that as, as the fans didn't agree that G should have started the second half and so when he's has made the move five mean. minutes into the second half the, it's been an ironic cheers you know that's how that's how I, how I read it mm-hmm. you know, it's you an know, interesting you, take on it well Wigan was actually where I sit I can see down the tunnel and yeah. uh, Wigan was got his top off um, the coaches were coming up to him patting him on the back saying like good luck before the start of the second half right and then G came back out and I thought he's not taking out the door off, has he? Yeah. And then out the door came back out. So maybe he's gone. Let's give him, let's give him ten minutes to to to, well, to turn it around. Craig's got the opposite opinion. And then it. and then he uh, 
he, he made a terrible mistake about two minutes in and I think they went oh alright come on well, Craig's got an come. opinion that's similar to the people I sit next to in the game the first thing I thought when he took him off it was like you've given him an arbitrary three minutes four minutes here he, obviously his head wasn't in the game first half he was having a stinker why have you given him this three minutes you, he's already admitted and allowed that reaction to, and allowed that reaction exactly to and, and he's, he's talked about how every time he was doing something wrong there's moans and groans and it meant that it was really hard and he was struggling so why put him out there to, he must have known the response was going to be merciless because he'd heard it throughout the first mm. half and admitted mm. it himself well he must have heard because he's commenting on it like exactly said, yeah. exactly. I know so, what you're saying that was the opinion now uh, me and my friends were at, at the game at the start but you know the more I thought about it afterwards I was inclined to sort of agree with Gareth thinking well so, you know, I mean, we don't know what was said at half time. But that's, he, that's he, true. G could have said, "Let me play. Let me it's play." Purely yeah. It's purely because Wigan was ready to come on. Well, know. there was that as well. That Wigan was ready yeah. in the tunnel with his top off, and then he, for some reason he put it back on. So I don't know if they said to him, and he was going through a really rigorous warm up at half time. He was. Yeah. He was coming on. So I don't know if he said, "Come on, let's give him ten minutes." If he gets a chance, he sticks it away, and then he's like, the, "Everyone's with him." Then, so. But he did. He gave the ball away in a terrible position, about two minutes, and then he was he was hooked straight away. So. Maybe that was the, the the thing. Maybe the point was for Di Canio to to see how he goes, and and then when he made that that final mistake, maybe that was yeah the final straw, if you like. Yeah, mm. I just don't see how going from that first half, he thought this player can turn it around that dramatically, when he clearly looked com- like mentally. Physically, he just look completely. But if he's, off his if he's turned down a lot of money, or if they've turned down money for the lad and they think he's got something, then obviously they're not just going to write him off on that forty-five minutes. Of course they're not. But at the same time, if he is as mentally weak as he looks, and I know that is mm. just me taking a bit of no, a guess he, at it. Yeah, he, he looked. He but doesn't he looked like yeah. he couldn't cope. What 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 will that reaction do to him? I mean, if the reactions in the first half were making him poorer than he already was and he started from a low base he was he started the game badly and went worse if that's the reaction he's put up with just after half time bearing in mind this was a league cup game in front of a pretty mm. small crowd I don't know what, how we th- how we can re- well, I think he'll struggle to recover basically I wonder to- if Ellis Shot was on the fort in the Bundesliga clubs <laughs> talking about well talking about mentally weak and if you want to talk about Wigan if yeah. you want to bring it on to that if mm-hmm. that's what you were going to do yeah. um, I was saying last week to, to Stephen that I just think Wickham sometimes comes on and he just doesn't look like he wants to be a footballer that, that, that quote from De Canio you know when he said he just doesn't, looks as doesn't. if you, you go and he's wandering about training and you see you know Connor you're on the grass where you're supposed to be training and all that stuff that comes to my head because what do we think about Wickham you can't doubt that he changed the game um, you know however this sort of this sort of theory now that he's the answer m- makes me panic a little bit, James, because he, he isn't the answer really on a on a on a long you know in the small term, well, small picture. I'd like to see him given a proper you know crack of the whip and let's let's see. I well, mean, I don't think we've got an alternative now, have we? You know, I'd li- I'd like to I'd like to see that. Like you say, he comes on as a sub and he does ten minutes here or fifteen minutes there. But I'd like to see him given a run of starts and see, see how he goes on before mm. before I make a final decision on him. He's not he's not impressed for Sunderland the way that he has when I've seen him play for England under twenty ones. Um, you know he seems he, he seems to get a goal a game for the under twenty ones um, with England. Um, I mean, 
I think his physique and his strength and his size um, marked him out from a, from a fairly young age, which is why Sunderland paid a lot of money for him. Um, but I, I think he definitely changed the game when he came on. I mean, he scored two goals, set up another one. Um, I think he was, uh, you know, I, th- I think he was the difference, and that could be the making of him. You know, having that couple of goals at home, a uh, few few cheers, backing of the fans, maybe that'll be the making of him. I think that's what we've got to hope, anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, he certainly changed the game in the f- in the form of the team shape. Because, um, like you say, that wasn't a link man anymore. So we 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 played a lot further up the pitch. Was, the was still too far apart. The, the, I know what you mean they, they, yeah, were, they, they were, were closer, but they were, they were, they were thirty-five closer, but yards is closer than the th- forty. The thing what the thing what you know was annoying me about about Wickham was he was he was still allowing centre halves who were significantly smaller than him to bully him off the ball at times. He doesn't jump for enough headers for me, in my opinion. He doesn't get his feet off the ground, and. If you look for, uh, I just I just think he's lethargical, like mm. you see. Like, but Adam I mean. Johnson's goal. If you watch how slow he was getting up to support. Now he scored two goals. He's on a hat trick. You know, Decanio likes his players to get in the box. You know, really bust a gut to do it. Now I don't want to sound like I'm being critical of somebody who's come on and changed the game, taking his agent into consideration as well. But it frustrates me, Gareth. But is there then an argument that he needs games to polish all this stuff up? Yeah, he does, but. It's he's in such a it's a, such a difficult situation that we're in at the moment. Where it's can you afford a player like that? Can you risk waste not wasting your time but taking the time to to find out if he's the answer? Can you can you risk three or four games and then it for it not to work out? And that's I think that's always been the problem with Wickham. He's it seems he's always involved during a transitional period and he can never he can't get in the team because he can't really take a chance on him. And it, I'd, I'd, I'd say I would say he did change the game towards the end, but he was. I, I, I thought he was pretty poor until he got the goal. I, I, I don't really see. The, I didn't really see him bringing anything else to the table. Let's not forget as well. He has changed games in the past. Mm-hmm. Bolton away in the cup came on. It had me thinking he would go. Sessegnon at the time was doing his thing that he's doing now, <laughs> where he didn't look interested. Mm-hmm. This guy comes into a game, makes a mark. Then, if I remember rightly, he was given a start, which under O'Neill was unusual because he mm. was like a young lad and he hadn't really shown much interest in him, and he just completely failed to impress on I that. Just, I just hope that people aren't pinning the hopes on this sort of this old style centre forward thing because there was w- one point when he he re- he didn't jump up for the ball when he should have. The defender got in front of him and played the ball away, and it was it was poor by Connor. It was poor. It was poor centre forward play. But yet he tried to close the pass down and did a slide. He didn't. He wasn't successful. He missed the ball. But everybody cheered because he got back. You know, because he looked like he was getting back and trying to do something, which I can understand. But the other half of me was thinking, well, what about you know, he, he's recovering from something. You know, but he was poor at. But again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm being hypercritical. The, re, the Rio Ferdinand, the Rio Ferdinand <laughs> effect looks much better than he is because, but with all the mistakes he makes, he has to recover <laughs> yeah, from them. Yeah, well, Phil Bardsley, there was a lot of that in as well. Um, but we're a situation, James, where unless he brings another centre forward in until Stephen Fletcher comes back, there isn't another alternative at the moment. It's a bear in mind Sessignon's form, bear in mind G's form. You know, we we have to we have to allow this to be the platform, don't we? Yeah, I think you do. I'm, I mean, there are options out there. I mean, you briefly run through them. I mean, there's Altidore as as the main man. You got Stephen Fletcher, who was on the bench on Tuesday night, may well be on the the bench again this weekend. Um, you've got Sess G Dong Won and Connor Wickham um, 
Sasser's had his problems off the field this week, so it remains to be seen whether whether he figures over the weekend. Um, so that leaves you with G or Connor. Um, we've kind of talked G out of a place. <laughs> I think he, d- so I think leaves, he took care of that. Connor. <laughs> <laughs> so that leaves you Connor. Um, so I'm looking forward to. I mean, if, if he can pick up um, on Saturday uh, down at Crystal Palace, uh, where he left off against MK Dons, and I'm looking forward to seeing seeing it work. Um, but it's a big if. Has he been fortunate as well, Craig? That this whole time, when because Conor Wickham's he's had a lot of stick off of fans because of his his performances. But um, James touched on it. James touched on it earlier. He was playing well for England on twenty ones. That was sort of happened simultaneously. Mm. So people had their eye on that. That mm. gave him a little bit more time. Do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen a few people say, "Why is he not getting a, a shot in our team when he is scoring these goals for the under twenty ones?" But we are talking as if all of Sunderland support is fully behind him getting a getting a place in the team I know many supporters who've written him off a lot worse than anyone here has I mean I don't think any of us are doing that no. I think we're just frustrated by his like limitations <laughs> no I, I, I just wanted to sort yeah. of uh, make it clear that we aren't mm-hmm. but I've seen some just say look even it when you know 18 years old it, this bloke's got no future here we should sell him now so for everyone who's looked at him and said yep he's scoring goals in the under 21s he deserves a shot there's another one or two saying get rid move on bring someone else in do you think the price tag's a factor mm. in that definitely if, if you weren't always ta- is if you weren't talking about a player that's cost so much money you, you know would you would, would people judge here? him quite so yeah. harshly or would he still be here even well that, I think that's definitely mm. true I mean we saw it with Craig Gordon didn't we mm. he was judged on his price tag for virtually his entire Sunderland career it didn't matter what he did the best saving alright I hate the, the defining it by this but Premier League history you know and it was an incredible save and it wasn't just a one off he was a, a good goalkeeper I like Craig Gordon oh, I was a fan yeah. but he was judged on that price tag mm-hmm. people was. thought you know it's people thought Fulop yeah. was better it's an interesting point because it works both ways like you see how he come through the youth system or something people might be off his back a little bit on the other hand the other side of it is had he not cost so much he might not still be here now I agree with that as well. <laughs> it's a bit of a strange one which way you look at. I want to quickly mention, get people's opinions on two players before we move on to the Crystal Palace section, and that is Valentin Roberge. Gareth, discuss. Get in the gym. <laughs> get in the gym. Um, learn to head the ball, and then we'll, we'll talk again. <laughs> Craig, it's, 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 he was at fault for the goal against Fulham. Uh, I think we all know that. Yeah. Um, he then what didn't play against Southampton, so this was the next test for him. Fulham because Fulham didn't put him put our defenders under a great amount of pressure. Let's be fair. Did he pass the test? I don't think he did. He he looks like if you put anyone with any sort of physical presence up against him, he's going to lose out in any aerial battle. I think people were rating him on the Fulham performance, and it was fair enough. He looks comfortable in possession, and that's nice to see from a Sunderland central defender. It hasn't been seen for a while, but when he is in there to defend and if you're up against MK Dons and they're putting crosses in and he looks like he's struggling against them it's no surprise he wasn't in the team against Southampton mm. that's all you can see exactly why he picked Diakiti mm. you've got to wonder James your opinion? Well, I think that um, you know, right from the off we we all assumed that John O'Shea and uh, Madibo Diakite would be the, the uh, first choice centre back pairing um, Roberge was signed very much as um, as a squad player and I think that you know, from what we've seen so far, 
um, that will be his role. He will be. Um, <laughs> don't like to make the comparison really but he will be the Matt Kilgallen character that will be called <laughs> into for into cup games and and the like um and when you when you're struggling for for numbers More the thing that surprised opportun- me opportunistic signing because he was available because he was available because yeah. he was free because he'll do a job when when needed the thing that surprised me is that Carlos Square hasn't had a look in yeah, you kind of forget he's here, don't you? Mm, uh, Gareth made a good point in the first game to try and settle that back for doubt. It would have been interesting about Quayla, but I think the Canio likes distribution on the ball. I think he allows O'Shea to get away with it because of his defensive qualities. <laughs> it's more than getting because, away with yeah, it. Yeah, well, I know, but Quayla doesn't <clears throat> give you the same... Well, with O'Shea, I mean, I know his distribution can be absolutely terrible, but he is a really good defender, and when you look sometimes, he's looking up to make a pass a pretty short pass mm. and the There's midfield is completely yeah. hiding mm-hmm. so he then tries to make some ambitious 30-40 yard ball that it should be someone in midfield making that pass it was like a continuous cycle on Tuesday that wasn't it mm. looking for the pass looking, Roberge looking for a pass that wasn't there making a 5 yard one getting bullied off the ball nobody for coming to receive the ball from O'Shea long ball out of play people get frustrated oh, McLeod you know he gave them he gave both Roberge and O'Shea a torrid time didn't he in yeah. that, in that, especially in the first half, they couldn't they couldn't handle him. Yeah. They couldn't handle him, and he's a, he's. A, I know he's, I know he's sort of frittered around the the upper echelons of the championship for a little bit, and he's kind of his career's gone off the rails and stuff. But he's playing in League One, and like this is O'Shea, and Roberge was playing in the in the Europa League last season, and he must have come up against players a, a better quality than 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 McLeod, but he did. He he had pace, power, and. He should have he should have done better with that first chance he had in the in the in the first half yep. where he got in. It was a nice move, Definitely. but he got he 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 you know he bullied them really, didn't he? I suppose that comes back to what you were saying, Stephen. Though, like they were up for it. This is a chance to impress against the Premier mm-hmm. League team. Of course, yeah. Someone like John O'Shea's played Champions League football. He's played against some of the best in the world. Uh, there's no excuse, but perhaps he's not quite as switched on. Roberge was thinking we're playing a lower league team, maybe in Portugal. When you play a lower league team, it's like playing a local side. Mm. Maybe the all right, MK Dons are no great shakes, but they were a decent side, and maybe they just weren't quite expecting. Mm-hmm. What? I think all players will do it subconsciously. I don't care what you say. It's mm. it. You, you do it when you play football yourself, even at local level. You, you you subconsciously adapt to the opposition you're playing on in terms of what effort you put in. Um, the last player I want to mention, I want people's opinion on, is Andrea Shaluska. Gareth? Yes. I'm a fan. Yeah. I like him a lot. Me as well. Tough, isn't he? Mm. And uh, he, I can't recall him being beaten in any of the games down the side. And in the air. He's good in the yeah, air. Yeah, his well. back post headers is something, you know, truly really important when you're a full back. And that deep ball at the back post when you get sucked in. And uh, he hasn't. We we lost a lot of balls in the air, actually, in, in the middle of the box. But I don't, rem- don't really recall him losing out the header at the back post. But it, I think. He looks like he has got a really good attitude, and uh, I know Craig. You were saying you, you weren't quite sure if he was going to be the the overlapping fullback. There's you, been evidence but of it. There has been evidence of it. So the only thing I is, think I think he'll come out of his shell in that regard. He, in that aspect, well, like. he certainly got forward well against yeah. MK Dons and did set up a goal mm. ultimately. Great piece of overlapping, but some of his crossing. Mm, yeah, wasn't quite there, but you know you, he's been he's here for five there, minutes. Yeah. You've got to give him a chance. It's similar to the way Chris start, uh, Chris Macon started his Southern career in a bit because his first season he wasn't really known for getting his foot on the ball. 
um, playing a lot. But he was no nonsense. He looked tough, hard to beat, first of all. And the fans took to him because of that. But as his son and career went on, he started to play, dictate play from the middle of the park. Sometimes he got that comfortable ball. There's no way of knowing, James, <laughs> whether Shalouska's going to do that just because Chris Megan started in a similar way. But out of all of the signings, he's probably been you know the the low key one out of them all. Yeah, possibly impressed the most besides Altador. Um, yeah, I think in you know to, to to a certain degree. If you'd have asked me after the first game, I would have said Cabral was the mm, uh, outstanding yeah. player alongside Altidore. But but up to, you know to this point, I think Saluska has has played well. Um, he's, he's he's typical modern fullback. He he spends more of his time going forward than he does defending. Um, as as Craig was saying, you know he got forward on the on the overlap and uh, set up the goal uh, on Tuesday night. Um, he reminds me very much of a more attacking orientated Phil Bardsley or somewhere a cross between Chris Makin and Phil Bardsley mm-hmm. It's encouraging if you've got an attacking fullback who can defend as well that, that's that's the goal isn't it um, Right, we, Gareth and I spoke earlier on to Jim Daly who does the Crystal Palace podcast 5 year plan which is also a fanzine and it, it's it's unquestionably one of the better ones if anybody's ever feels inclined to go and listen to any podcast you know prior to the Sun and Game or anything like Gareth guested on it for five minutes so I would avoid that bit but um, <laughs> apart from that it's one of the better ones and Jim is also a stand-up comedian Gareth and I spoke to him earlier on and this is what he had to say I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off the jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com Jim Daly joins us now from the 5-Year Plan podcast. How are you, Jim? I'm good, thanks, guys. Yeah, how are you? Not too bad. A uh, little bit, little bit nervous already. But this game on Saturday, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be feeling like this three games into the season. But there we are. Um, along those lines, straight away, Jim, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm going to be saying this to a lot of opposition fans this season. Is it's a bit, it's a bit premature to say it's a must-win game. But neither side um, have a win yet in the Premier League this season. Both sides are going to be looking at each other, fancying this one, aren't they? You're going to be looking at Sunderland at home, thinking, you know, when the fixtures came out, Jim, that that, that was possibly going to be your first three points? Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think it, it probably is a must-win game for both sides, given uh, the rest of the quality in the league, I think. Um, certainly for us at home, I think, yeah, you're right. We we, we probably are looking at this one, looking at at least, at least a result, and especially given that we have zero points so far. We desperately need a point from somewhere, because... I mean, if you have a good start to the season, then it just makes the rest of it so much easier. But if, you, if you're waiting each week for those points to get on the board, it's just 
put added pressure on you, especially when you're already uh, one of those teams that are um, tipped to go down. So yeah. we we definitely do need to get uh, to get a result. I think even if we got a draw, we'd be happy. But I, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be lying if I said we weren't hoping for three points. It's inter- it's interesting you talk about putting pressure on putting pressure on yourself. I guess, and sort of that we've been talking about this week about Di Canio sort of putting pressure on himself um, by making comments, um, you know, talking about how good he is, basically. And the longer you go without picking up the point that you need or three points, um, mm. it puts more pressure on yourself. And Holloway is quite an exuberant manager, and I know he's he's come out and, and made some criticisms recently um, of referees and stuff like that. Do you do you think Holloway's comments, or is he kind of manager who might end up putting more pressure on on Palace to get results? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't. From you know, from the fans, there isn't that much pressure. I don't think because we don't. Uh, we'd love to stay up this season, but we do know that, that that gap between the Championship and and the Premier League is a big one, and it is difficult to bridge. So if we didn't stay up the season, it wouldn't be a big disaster. It wouldn't be a massive disaster with the owners either because they. They're not really ploughing that much money in. Uh, I mean, we are spending more than we have done in recent years, but compared to the rest of the Premier League, uh, it's still nothing really. Um, I think the only person who's really on the only person that's putting Ian Holloway under pressure is Ian Holloway at the moment because yeah. he is. Well, the impression I get is he is desperate to keep Palace up this season to prove that he can do it. Obviously, he he came close to Blackpool, but but didn't do it. And early on in his career, uh, sort of flopped at Leicester. Um, so I think he's he is personally very very desperate to prove that he is good enough uh, to keep a, a team like Palace in the Premier League, and that he's not just some wise cracking West Country pumpkin. As the media, yeah, as the media would have you believe. Um, yeah, they would. Yeah, that's true. But while we are on the subject of expectation levels and the like, then Jim, what what how would the crowd react to this game? Are they are they likely to get a bit nervy if if the goal go goal behind maybe early on? Or I mean, Crystal Palace, it's always. Um, it's always been a place where mm. where teams haven't liked to go. I'll be Especially honest. Sutherland. Yeah, <laughs> <We> <laughs> have um, because, because, there. because one one thing the fans do do when Crystal Palace are playing well is get behind the side, isn't it? That's true. Yeah, and and, and people would have seen the first home game against Tottenham with the fantastic uh, display they did from the Homesdale end uh, with a giant banner um, and and some weird skull, which apparently mm. was the skull from Saw Three. I've no idea what that is about. <laughs> Um, but it looked good, and and the fans definitely do get behind Palace. And, and to be honest, they've always been good. But it stems back to the administration period three years ago. It became, I mean, within hours of losing our club, and and since then, I think Palace fans have just stopped taking the club for granted. And so, mm. the support has been fantastic, really, from the stands, and, and and it will be regardless. I mean, like I said, we're, we're not expecting the club to do brilliantly this, this season, so they will. We'll get frustrated, obviously, if things are going terrible. But th- that support, that level of support, won't stop. I think that's Gareth. That's it's a point that because Crystal Palace have just come off. I mean, we we can compare it to Sunderland, obviously. And I think yeah. newly promoted sides of newly promoted um, sides are a little bit more supportive of the sides if they go one yeah. down on. Whereas like Sunderland are in a position now, if they were to go one down, as we witnessed on Tuesday night, the fans are more likely to get you know annoyed rather than anything. Crystal Palace, you would have thought their fans are going to get behind them. Yeah. Aren't you? Is, is that going to be an extra factor that will play us? Yeah, um, I think. The, the Palace fans have always been pretty good, um, sort of in, as, when it comes to supporting the team, definitely. And I think, you know, tight ground and it's it's tough when they when they're right on top of you. And if if I think if Sunderland go goal down, and uh, you know that that could be when we're really in danger, rather than almost if we go goal up and then rallying to try and get them going. Mm-hmm. I think if we went to goal down, um, that would really lift them, and then 
so no win situation would really, really, would really start <laughs> yeah. to feel the pressure yeah. but um, on the you know that that banner was was pretty incredible really I, I can't recall ever seeing anything like that in the Premier League before mm-hmm. that, and uh, so it was funny because uh, Chil- our fullback Jim uh, it's called Chalutska and uh, he, yeah. he was quite vocal on Twitter and the night before the start of the season he came on and said um, tomorrow is going to be like a horror movie something lost in translation or something like that but uh, it's going to be a horror show and all this like obviously talking about fight and things like that and then put the Palace game on first game of the season I think they'd taken the comment a bit too literally with that <laughs> sore skull yeah. um, so maybe Shalutska had been in, on the phone to the Palace fans he's probably saying all, yeah, he's probably <laughs> saying all that stuff before getting on to the the, the, the playing side of things um, Jim but what's the I've, I've seen a lot of Palace fans complain about the defence this season I, um, I had a little listen to Gareth on, on your podcast the other day and thrilling that uh, was wasn't it <laughs> and I noticed <laughs> I noticed that um, you lads were saying you were concerned about your defence so Sunderland are hard to predict on that front because the first game of the season against Fulham they didn't really create anything but that said Fulham did put 10 players behind the ball which I'm not expecting you a lot to do um, we created four chances within the space of 10 minutes on Wednesday and scored them all we created chances at Southampton even though we were under siege a lot so we are going to create chances. We do have attacking players like Johnson, Jackarini, Altador. Is that something that concerns you? Yeah, the, the, the defence is a big concern. I mean, it's basically the, the same back four um, that came up with us from the championship. Um, and to be honest, as much as I love them, they're very nice guys and, and they play with their hearts and their sleeves. But I just don't think in terms of quality, they're quite good enough. Um, Palace has been linked with um, William Gallas today, actually, yeah, um, which... At the start of the summer, I would have said no, thank you. But but now I'm starting to think, well, an experienced head actually is maybe exactly what we need just to organise the guys. So is back. it? I mean, is it just the central areas, or is it the the whole back four? Which which areas you looking at specifically? Probably central. Probably central. I mean, our right back Joel Ward is is probably our best defender. Um, he's good at getting up and down the line. Um, left back is a worry. We've got Dean Moxie, who's um, again <laughs> nice guy. But um, <laughs> I don't know if his quality is. I don't really think you can. You always worry about somebody, somebody's, somebody's credentials when somebody starts by saying he's a nice guy, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think centre backs and left backs will be an issue. And, and Holloway does know that, I think, and he is targeting them. But then when he came up with Blackpool, he didn't really buy that many defenders either. So and, and they nearly stayed up. So you know, he is buying more attacking players, and maybe that's just the way he's going to go this time again. Is there any weaknesses? Um, in the Sunderland side, you'd be looking to exploit. I, I think I also heard you guys say you were pretty happy in the centre of the park, which is which has been Sunderland's biggest issue this season. Yeah, I remember Gav saying that the centre of midfield might be an issue, and uh, I think our best player um, is our captain Milo Gednak, who is a central midfielder. Um, he's very good at sort of breaking up play, um, and the rest of the guys in there, Johnny Williams, is a young Welsh guy with, with quick feet, and Stephen Dobby has been there before with Blackpool, but he, his form is kind of erratic. Uh, we've got this new uh, Spanish lad, Jose Campaña, uh, I think I said it right, um, from Sevilla. And uh, he is a very good passer of the ball. So it's, it's, he's actually not quite match fit yet. But if, if he and Jednak are playing, then um, I could see us controlling uh, the midfield for a bit. But then having said that, that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily equate goals or chances. Mm-hmm. You know, just because we're doing well in midfield doesn't mean we're really going to get it forward and get, and get chances. It's encouraging, Gareth, that the left-back scene is a weak link because Adam Johnson started the season mm. quite well on the right and we both impressed with Saluka, right-back who's getting forward as yeah. well. Especially it, Tuesday night, the short signs, yeah. isn't it? I mean, Chilutska got forward, actually, um, and uh, created the goal, one of the goals on, on, on Tuesday. Um, and that's definitely... If, if you're uncomfortable with your left-back, then Johnson looks pretty good at the moment. Um, 
and he, he looks quick. I mean, I don't know if you saw the goal in the week, but he made that. He scored that goal in the ninety-sixth minute, mm-hmm. and he was full of energy. He was full yeah. of energy still. Um, so I think you know that that's positive signs for Sunderland anyway. If, if you're, you're unsure about your left fullback, yeah. Well, Moxie is he's one of these defenders who um, makes a lot of slide tackles, and I always think if a defender's making a lot of slide tackles, mm. it probably means he's either out of position. Yeah. Try to recover. The is not yeah. necessarily what you want. He's good at going forward, but he just he just seems to get caught out positionally sometimes. Do they do they overlap the pass fullbacks or do you tend to? Do yeah, they tend to. Yeah, rigid? because we play, play quite narrow. Um, well, we are. Do, last season we played wide with Balassi and, and Zaha hugging yeah. the touchline, but this season there's no Zaha and Balassi's injured. Uh, Jerome Thomas has come in; he's injured. So the players that are playing in their roles, uh, people like Owen Garvin, are way more central. Mm. So the fullbacks are having to really sort of get up and down, and, and uh, Joel Ward does that brilliantly on the right. And Moxie's good at getting up and down on the left, but but he just he just gets caught out too often defensively. Um, is there any particular Sunderland players specifically who, who who you would look at and you would fear? I know we've just mentioned Johnson there. Um, Sessegnon's normally one who who who, who opposition fans would normally see in this instant, but um, he isn't really doing it for us this season. Mm. So who who have you got in mind? Yeah, well, like Sessegnon is in my fantasy team, so I expect him Take to him out. Fine for <laughs> and, uh, he'll not be around for much longer. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not doing very well, so that's probably why I'm yeah. not doing very well. Um, yeah, I, I like the, the Giacchirini, the the lad from uh, the Juventus. That he yeah. from. I think he looks like a real a real find, actually, and um, I think he could... He's exactly the sort of player that I think our defence would struggle against, to be honest. Um, and Altidore, I mean, I, I like Altidore. I, I liked him at his first stint in the Premier League. And uh, I feel like, again, he's the sort of guy that when he's on his game and he's bearing down on the Palace defence, I just it just fills me with dread, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's, when he gets going, he's a powerful, powerful runner. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if, if you feel... It, it will Gabadon start? I, uh, unless we sign anyone in the next couple of days, it'll be Gabidon and Delaney as okay. centre backs. Um, Gabidon uh, didn't win a single header at Stoke during 90 minutes. <laughs> um, bearing in mind Stoke play a lot of long balls, that's pretty poor. Mm. Um, and Delaney is the sort of guy that wears not just his heart but most of his internal organs on his sleeve. <laughs> um, but technically, is pretty poor. What about um, Shamak? Because he was a player who was heavily linked with Sunderland a few years ago. And and I know the local press here really bigged him up, but I think mm. that was just because they were convinced that we were probably close to a deal. Um, but we weren't, and the, the angle that everybody was using was that Sunderland probably weren't good enough for him, and he then went well, and, played for, and played for Arsenal, of Lauren, course. Lauren Blanc said he wouldn't sell him to Sunderland because yeah. Sunderland weren't and a big enough his, team his, for him. His career seems to have crashed a little bit, but you know, he's, he's still at a decent age. But, that seemed to me like a decent but sign. But there was some... I don't know if you knew, you knew about this, Jim, but there was some interesting stuff going on in his personal life that I found out today. Apparently, pretty much all the time he was at Arsenal, he was being blackmailed or something like that. Oh, and blimey. And uh, obviously, it had a massive... Uh, I don't know what it was all about. I'm sure... This is breaking just news. Type this is it breaking into, news. Yeah, <laughs> type it into Google. I'm sure it'll come <laughs> up. Um, but yeah, or any other search engine, sorry. Um, but yeah, um, I'm pretty sure... I, I heard today that that was the case, that he was being blackmailed, apparently, during his entire time at Arsenal. Well, and was on a very... Del- very I've heard some excuses of my time, like, but uh, what do you think of him, Jim? What's he been like? Well, I'm, I'm interested. Maybe the blackmail was something to do with his haircut. You know, maybe <laughs> him having that terrible, terrible haircut yeah. because no one in their right mind would choose to have that. Yeah, um, it's thinning as I well now. He, uh, I think he could turn out to be uh, actually quite, quite a, a good signing for us, actually, because um, we're missing Glenn Murray up, up top. Obviously, last season, top scorer, he's injured. 
uh, with a knee injury. Um, so we need someone that, that can lead the line. And, and Shamak, I mean, he's clearly a good player. He clearly has suffered with confidence uh, at Arsenal and didn't really get a run at West Ham. But it's clearly, I mean, we saw at Stoke that he's, he's quite strong. He muscled Shawcross off the ball for the first goal. He, he's fairly good in the air, or aside from that heady clearance for Stoke's second goal. Um, but I, I think it could be good. And I think he's also a player that's got something to prove. And I think mixed with Holloway, a player that needs to prove himself to the footballing world, uh, could be just who we need right now. He could be the he could be the ma- he could be made to feel the main man, couldn't he? And that could really you exactly. know yeah. could be the making of him. What I saw there was a link with Bentner as well. Actually, I don't know how true that is. Did Did you see that? Yeah, one? apparently Holloway said today that there were talks, but he's not particularly confident about them. No. So I don't know how that's going. That's something we're going to talk about later. Um, but the thing about Bentner were playing for us as well, Gareth. Um, so try and remind me of that later on. <laughs> um, have you noticed any animosity between the, the two clubs in, in recent years, Jim? I say that uh, the first game that comes to my mind was an FA Cup tie, possibly 12 years ago or so, when uh, you got a nil-nil drop at the Stadium of Light. And I know that Kevin Phillips and a couple of us, Niall Quinn, were very vocal about the fact that some of the Crystal Palace players were quite disrespectful in the changing rooms afterwards. I think it was Clinton Morrison and people like that. Um, and it was a really, really tasty replay down at Sellers Park. And I think we won 3-2 or 4-2. 4-2, an extra time or something. Um, and then also we had that playoff um, semi-final in 2004 when... Um, Mart Poom was assaulted in goal, mm. and then you got a uh, you got a late equaliser. I know Palace fans view that differently, but not really animosity as such. But do, do you know what I mean? Have you have you felt that these these um, clashes have been a bit spicy in previous years? Yeah, I wouldn't say animosity, but there's certainly been some some memorable games. Down yeah, I remember that um, the FA Cup game you mentioned. I think we then played you in the League Cup about a week later, mm. um, and we actually went on to go to the semi final of the League Cup that mm. year, and then got absolutely torn apart at Anfield. Um, which is still one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen with my eyes. Um, but there's certainly been... I, I, I've never, ever felt there's animosity between the sets of fans, ever. Um, but, but there's certainly been some decent clashes. And that um, that playoff game in 2004, um, I actually interviewed Neil Shipley for our fanzine uh, towards the end of last season. We were doing a playoff special. I chatted to him about it. And uh, I, I obviously brought up that goal because I couldn't talk to him without mentioning it. Because um, it's kind of gone down in Palace folklore. Because we all know it was a foul. Like, no, no, and I tell you what, Popovich should have been sent off for a second booking for jumping in the crowd as well. <laughs> oh <laughs> God, <laughs> I still remember it. Gareth's <laughs> been really petty here now. <laughs> so, so I, um, I spoke to Shifley and I said to him, obviously, you know that goal from Darren Powell. You know, you you you've pretty much assaulted Mark Poom, and his reaction was just, "What? I barely touched him." <laughs> I actually read. I, I actually read some. I don't know if you read the. Um, the, the away fans feature on Salusalon, Gareth. I, I came across that today, and um, the guy there was saying that that the referee said he would have given a penalty if he didn't score, and that Mark Poon fell somebody before. What? I, really? I, I know. I, I, I tried to I tried to find the goal yeah. on YouTube straight away afterwards because I, that's not how, how I remember no. things at all. No, that is taken. You know, that is taken. I remember your, your looking loyal. at the referee waiting <laughs> for him to blow the whistle, <laughs> and then they were still celebrating. They kicked off again. I was thinking, come on, blow the whistle for that foul. I bet, but extra um, time came and I was waiting for the whistle for the foul. You say that fell goes down in folklore, Jim. I bet Jeff Whitley's penalty goes down in folklore. <laughs> <laughs> on equal measures, does it? Can you remember it? The Jeff no, Whitley, Whitley missed the penalty? Not remember that. That's just the painful memory for us. Yeah, then, yeah. He did that, he done that little, um, you know, the John Aldridge little dummy thing. He tried to do that and it yeah, was just And then rolled it yeah. into the hands of the goalkeeper. It was a good penalty shootout, actually. There was loads of saves. 
was, it was a I, low scoring penalty. To be fair, I can't remember. It was I a low just remember scoring. Jeff that's, that's all I can it remember. It was a low scoring penalty shootout, that one, I think. Was it? I, I, it might have been 4 2 to Palace or something. But I think Mark Poom made I think Michael Hughes got the title. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Um, but I think Poom saved two, I think. Mm. He made two excellent saves. I can't remember. Yeah. I lost my wallet that night as well, actually. Oh, I lost God. my wallet. It was a terrible <laughs> evening all around. Uh, and Popovich so, should have been sent Popovich off. Popovich should have been sent <laughs> off. The goal should never have stood. So yeah, what but yeah, we've moved. We've moved on we, now. We, yeah, we've been on that. We've been on that crazy run where we were, we were second bottom. I think. Yeah, yeah. Ian Dowie. Ian Dowie took over. It was under Dowie, yeah, yeah, who obviously turned out to be a terrible manager, but mm. it was a good motivator. But I think, to be honest, it was, it was just our year that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it didn't matter who we come up against or how it happened. I remember Andy, just, Andy Johnson appeared to be unplayable at that mm. time as well. He was literally. Exactly, I remember. Yeah. I remember used to watching on the telly. And he was getting the ball at the halfway line, beating everybody in scoring. He was that direct yeah. and fast, wasn't he? And, I think he, he was a large was part There was actually a good game at the stadium like earlier that season against Palace. Um, I, th- I think when Johnson scored a last minute, minute yeah. equaliser and then we went up and got a penalty from the kickoff and oh, yeah. Stewart scored a penalty. Mm. I do remember that one. A lot of this, ta- a lot of these years, I try to get out my memory bank because they, <laughs> they were all too. They were, they were sandwiched between the 15 yeah. and 19 point Premier League seasons. So I'm yeah. trying, and plus I was really, really drunk at that time. Of <laughs> that, that stage in my life. But before we let you go, Jim, can we um, get a prediction from you for to uh, for Saturday's game? Yeah, um, I, I don't. I really don't know. I, I expect probably something like one all, to be mm. honest. Um, but I'm, I'll stick my neck out and say two one Palace, um, which would be lovely. But but I, I can see it being fairly, fairly close. Not many chances, and maybe a goal from each team. So mm. yeah, that's not really much of a prediction, but it's going to be close. <laughs> okay, thanks for your time. Cheers, Jim. Cheers, guys. Okay. <laughs> Thanks to Jim Daly for joining us there. Three significant points to discuss there, I think, boys. Central midfield being their strongest position. It's it's a position that we're struggling in, but he did also say that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to create chances from there. Weak Weaknesses in their side, left-back. Adam Johnson's played well this season. Something to think about for us. And Shalusko was saying likes to get forward as well. And the third point, what was the third point again? Can't remember. <laughs> uh, not winning headers. Not winning. No that one, was not it. winning headers. That was it. Uh, Danny Gabadon not winning headers. Says he played against Stoke, didn't win one header all game. So Craig, you would fancy Allardog to get some change from that situation. Absolutely. And uh, for all we've talked about Wickham and sounded maybe a little bit negative, he is a big lad. So if he does get the nod, you'd fancy them too pressing up against. The, well, <laughs> he might not need a jump against uh, Gabadon. Mm-hmm. I don't remember him being particularly tall. If he's not winning much in the air anyway, it's a perfect opportunity for Wickham to build on whatever platform he's he's put down. Uh, Gareth and I were, when we spoke, as you observed, we spoke to Jim there. We we were saying when he mentioned that the left back was particularly, you know, a, a bit of a weak link for them, and we we fancied Adam Johnson straight away. James, has Adam Johnson been what we expected to see last season? This season. I think he has, yeah. He's looked uh, sort of a player reborn, really, under uh, De Canio this season. Um, I think, essentially, De Canio said to him, look, you know, buy into my philosophy. Um, you got the World Cup next summer. Um, this is your this is your chance to shine and, and, you know, stake a claim for a place in that squad. And and 
Adam's made a good start. Um, he's, he's looked lively. I mean, particularly on on Tuesday night against the MK Dons. Um, you know, he's looked fantastic, but he's also looked good in the, the two games beside that. It'd be interesting to see um, who they put up against uh, Palace's left back. Whether they put Johnson, um, who's got a bit more pace, or whether they, you know, try Jacarini. Jacarini started on the right against Southampton. Did, yeah. um, so they've had both at different times on the right right flank um, so far in the two games, Sunderland. So it'd be interesting to see which one uh, they put against them. You certainly think a lot of a lot of old player this season, Gareth, positive is going to come from the wings, don't you? Mm. I mean, we 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 the Canios sort of told us that anyway, but it's just, so far it's proven the case. I think that was a, a good point about that, that James made there about the uh, it was something that was glossed over as well. The fact that we we went orthodox against Southampton when we've played inverted wingers all pre-season and yeah. that was kind of something we were all thinking oh we'll always play invert wingers because that's what he likes to do but he changed it um, I don't know if that was just because Southampton are very play with a lot of width I think um, Jack Arini hard worker and Luke Shaw was mm. always going to be yeah. a threat I think you just was discussed on the pod, wasn't the pod we said with Johnson isn't the best at track and mm. back and Luke Shaw is a big threat from their left back position but but yeah I mean Jack Arini he's 65% fit he's saying well you know We've got a lot to look forward to when he gets that extra thirty percent. I think it's, it's you know, I think he's been a little bit wasteful at times in, in his early days. But you know, I'm sure we can forgive him that because he's obviously got that quality. And you know, it's his trickery on the it's his trickery in tight spaces that you kind of excite you. And if you can get into those advanced positions in the box, you know, you, you bring in penalties into play and stuff like that because he does keep it well in tight spaces. And then Johnson. You know, he was a big plus. I thought. On, on, I know Ursa was against MK Dons, but you wouldn't have seen. Everyone pretty much said you wouldn't have seen him bursting at the box with that pace at the in the ninety sixth minute of a game when we, and we didn't have a lot of the ball against MK Dons. We we he did a lot easily, of chasing of our starters. He was easily our best player. I thought. Mm-hmm. I thought anyway. Yeah, I did as well. I thought Colbert had a good game as well. I mean, it was interesting because Gareth was saying it possibly depends where you sit in the stadium because. I didn't. I, didn't, I wasn't all that impressed. Because where we were sitting, you know, from I was sitting in the north stand behind the goal, um, and I thought Colpack was excellent. I'll be honest. On on Tuesday, I thought he was one of the players who just nothing fazed him at all. Almost to the point where you're thinking, is it possible that you put him in midfield if none of the other players are starting to do it? If he gets this left back in, it's a it's a real possibility, James. What what do you think of Colpack? Left back, centre midfield. Whew, it's a difficult one. Um, the the problem you've got is uh, in, in central midfield is physical size uh, again, um, which isn't Jack's strength. Um, but I, th- I think he's done a, a terrific job at, at left back, uh, absolutely terrific. There's an argument that that's probably his best position. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know it's something that we spoke to Martin O'Neill about last last year, and um, he thought it was a bit of a toss up between central midfield and left back uh, as Jack's best position it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's an interesting one again it's, you don't know what's going to happen but it's just the closer this transfer window comes no centre midfield is anybody worried about this as much as I am? Yeah. Yes <laughs> <laughs> so, well, we, yeah. I had a conversation we with Craig and yeah. he made a really good point that we kind of treated our expectations um, as if we've done all, as the, if business, we've done all yeah. the business and we haven't mm-hmm. And you start to look at that team, and you look at, all right, you can't judge them, but youngsters like Moberg Carlson, and yeah, you want to see them maybe coming off the bench for the 10, 15, 20 minutes. When you see them starting a game, you think, hmm, we're look, actually look quite th- like sort of threadbare. Mm-hmm. And certainly, if we don't get that central midfield player, we, we don't look like we've progressed a great deal 
from last season well, you're supposed, to, players you're supposed to be building teams around centre midfielders aren't you not the other way around and we've kind of done it backwards a little bit and it's, it's, it's in danger of collapsing a little bit but um, are we are we concerned directly then that that um, Jim has said that Crystal Palace's centre midfield looks particularly strong is anybody worried do we think James Crystal Palace are going to dictate the game anyway with them being the home team is, is that the, the way you would imagine it to go um, it's hard to say until you, you see how, how exactly they're going to line up but um, you know Paolo Di Canio wants to play this uh, 4-2-4 attacking system um, so it depends uh, how much you can put Palace on the back foot if you can put them on the back foot enough then uh, it it might not matter so much that their their strongest position is uh, central midfield, uh, but if if Palace sees the initiative and, and are allowed to dictate the game, then it then it could be a problem. Um, I mean, it'd be interesting. Interesting straw poll. You know, who do you think he'll pick as his two central midfielders this weekend? Mm. Larson will start. I'm I think pretty after, convinced after of that. After Tuesday, I think he'll go back to Gardner and Larson. Gardner and Larson. That's what I think he'll do. I'd Great. give Cabral Great. another go. I I think you'll. Probably, I think you're probably right, Larson and Gardner. Yeah. I think uh, certainly Larson will come back in. Um, the fact that Gardner didn't play at all would you know, imply that he's resting him. Um, and as you say, Cabral didn't exactly play well. So I don't want to say <laughs> he might go back to that. I mean, I, it's hard to say because you know my instinct would say he should play Cabral Larson. But Cabral was awful on Tuesday night. So it's you know people could say, well, why would you see, why would you slate G for example for having a, a really bad game and not Cabral? Um, well, the, the, pre-season the, the, I, can, I, can, I can help you there. The <laughs> reason is that we've seen Cabral have a really yeah, good game, yeah. but we're yet to see G do so. <laughs> well, that's, well, that's the thing because Cabral, for me, Cabral <clears throat> looked looked the business pre-season. He looked against Fulham as well. We don't know, you know. It's more likely in his situation we can put it down to a one-off. Personally, with, I play Cabral Larson. My personal. He was playing with he was playing with Vaughan as well. So when he played his first game, and he, when he, all through pre-season, Cabral and Larson. Plays, gets dropped, comes in, Cabral and Vaughan. Now, Vaughan did his best Scott Parker impression, I thought, on yeah. Tuesday. He just ran around circles on the ball. And it's a con- the co- main concern is, if you have to go back, if you drop Cabral, if you have to go back to... Like, if you have to go back to Vaughan and you have to go back to Gardner, Where we, it's where still not right. Where Something's not right. And yeah. dare I ask the question, is Catamore fit? I don't mind Catamol, so well, and I'd I be do happy as well. I like him, but it, I spent all I spent all last season sticking up for Catamol anyway. But um, I think we the, the reason I, I wasn't too you know alarmed that he he was sort of not in the squad was because we've been led to believe that Cabral was an upgrade on Catamol, and it was the creative centre midfielder we needed really. So it isn't really the answer to bring back Catamol at this time. However, if Cabral's performance performances don't pick up. Then but you would have to wonder whether Catamol will come back in then. But is Cabral this upgrade well, on Catamol? Si- well, that's what I'm saying. Not, yeah. Whether he's an upgrade or a downgrade, is he even the same type of player? Remember, post Southampton, no, we were t- we were t- well, he no. told us that he wasn't tenacious enough. Mm-hmm. Well, Catamol's tenacious, so are they even the same type of player? Mm. No, no it, not exactly. But I don't think you know. I was compared centre midfielders anywhere because it's a ho- he's a holding, he's, he's a holding he's, player. Yeah, he's, 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 he has that role. Box. He has that role in the side. It is an amazing thing that you know after the first game, uh, most people were, myself included, singing Cabral's praises. Then after the Southampton game, people were wondering why he didn't play. Thought he should have done. Uh, and then after Tuesday night, uh, people's opinion of Cabral has uh, completely changed. I mean, it could be that he just had a one-off 
poor performance on Tuesday. Or that again, it could be that you had a one-off good performance against Fulham. Well, we don't I'm, know. Do and we? I'm not trying to judge his quality mm. necessarily, just what type of player he is. I don't know whether we've seen enough of him to say he's tenacious, box to box, holding. Well, I think if you're going to go to midfield, the Canio said the midfield he wants is the one to bring the keys a creative one, which would imply that he has the other role in that in that pairing. So, I think we can all realistically think that's his role. But it's just it's just we've got to remember we don't see what happens in training either. He but didn't even bring Cabral on against Southampton, which is a point. Let's remember though, he he said pre-season that his first choice partnership was Cabral and Larson, and that's why he let Endai go. He said he let Endai go yeah. because he wasn't happy to to sit on the bench. He wanted to that's play, right. and that's what he said. You're telling me that Endai it wouldn't be a better option than what we've got. I would he'd have quite liked to see and absolutely would be. Mm-hmm. I really like and die, and I was I was really disappointed he went. <laughs> Gareth, you'd hear in Gareth's tone, he was really disappointed. He was in the end. Yeah. 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 I love to wear a tear. You could hear the sadness in his voice almost there. But what constitutes a good result here? Because promoted sides, they generally start off quite well at home. You have to say that the crowd behind them. They're never easy places to go, if you think of all the promoter teams that's came up, in, unless you get the odd one, like Sunderland have been in the past, like Derby were, where they're you know they're really bad. So, if we're looking at it from that angle, you've got to see it going there and getting a point would be a good result. However, this new look Sunderland team need a win in the league. So, with Arsenal and the like coming up after that, do we need a win Saturday, Craig? I I wouldn't. I would, but I'd love us to win. I'd take a point and I know that sounds almost defeatist but the amount of times I've seen us play away against a newly promoted side within the first five games and get beat 1-0 well, that's what I'm saying it's, it's a stand- got written it's a all over it in the, some the, ways the way the start off well at home generally these sides James do. Do you think, it's too early to start saying this is a must win game isn't it um, well Ian Holloway's already said it's a must win game for <laughs> Crystal Palace um, we spoke to Paolo Di Canio today uh, he says it's certainly not a must-win game for Sunderland. It's a game that they want to win, but it's not a must-win game. Um, I think you know you, you you're generally happy with a point from an away game, but I take take your point that um, the sooner Sunderland get a win, a league win uh, under their belt, the better to get them going. Um, and you you might look back at this game against a newly promoted side later in the season and say that a point away from home isn't isn't enough against a newly promoted team. Um, all things, all things being said, you know, would I take a point if you offered me it now? Yeah. Would I prefer three? Yeah. <laughs> Gareth, are we all, are we all in the same boat here? Because I kind of, you know, like on, on the surface, a point is a good result away from home. But I can't help thinking we should be aiming for three. We really could do with three points. I think it, it's not so much the. You obviously you really want to win the game. If you lose, there's so many other connotations. With that, it's it's not just the result. It's you know you're putting pressure on yourself to in your home games. Really, that we've got coming up. Secondly, if he doesn't do the business in the transfer market by Tuesday, if we haven't got those players in and we lose that game, and then the players don't come in, it's it's the it puts a downer on things. And you, it's about invite you're inviting pressure on yourself. I think the Canio's done it. So I'm not I don't, I'm not going to start slagging off the Canio and criticising him, saying I want him out. Nothing like that. My thing is, if he keeps on doing these interviews in papers saying, oh, I'm going to be, I'm the, the unique one or whatever he said, I'm, I'm going to be this guy, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be one of the best, I'm one of the best coaches, he's inviting pressure on himself. And the long, 
you're putting pressure on yourself to get results and if he, if he doesn't get results he invites that pressure on he doesn't get the players in and we get beaten on Saturday you, I think that's the most dangerous scenario it's not so much the points on the board it's the repercussions of everything and it's that mentality and he always talks about mentality and if, 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 there's, a, if there's a bad air about things as a result of not only the game on Saturday if we don't get a result then you know it's going to be a real tough three months up until January is, is the Canio conducting himself as expected James um, this season because you know at the start of the season it's had somebody said you would lose your first game at home to Fulham you would draw away to Southampton you would struggle against MK Dons some parts of the media would have you believe he would be having a meltdown by now and he hasn't he's been quite protective of his players hasn't he yeah he's, I think I think he's been, been fine I think he, he wasn't discouraged by the result against Fulham because he he saw plenty of positives in in the performance and uh, you know I'm I'm with him on that I think that you know Sunderland could easily have, have won that game um, against Southampton they picked up a point from an away game where they were second best um, so in a way that's a that's a triumph in its own way um, but also he wasn't fooled by a four two win in the cup um, he he knows that that wasn't acceptable and uh, you know he's, he's not going to say hey don't worry we we're through and that's what matters mm-hmm. um, I mean ultimately that that is the outcome but he knows that that, that there's big problems to to resolve there really but, he had, but there's, there's been no meltdown there's been no yeah. um, you know when when he first came to the club uh, back at the end of March um, it was almost a bit of a um, uh, pantomime season, you know. Every press conference was a w- was a huge pantomime, and uh, um, he made front page and back page news. And, and thankfully, there's been there's been none of that. Um, aside, obviously, from this recent liftgate um, thing that, that surrounded <laughs> so- Southampton, which um, uh, I, th- I think, um, f- from from what I understand, you know, he's, he's very much the innocent party in. Mm-hmm. Well, the sooner a win comes along, I think the better we'll all feel. I hope we're all standing here next week. Well, not all, because we'll not all be here next week, Gareth. <laughs> I hope whoever we win with yeah. next week, we're, we're standing here and we're a little bit more relieved because I just think that win's going to ease a little bit pressure. The proof's going to be in the pudding on Saturday, so I'm going to get a prediction from everybody before we go out. We've had a, we've had a long... We've had a long episode. Like this, is what happens when nobody nobody kicks you out of the studio? So you go, you start rambling on, you start rambling on, you go like fifteen, twenty minutes over. <laughs> Craig, start with you. Um. I don't know. Maybe predicting a defeat will actually see us get it wrong and we'll <laughs> win. So I'm going to say two one Palace Phillips to come off the bench and get the winner, oh, just to rub it in. Good God, Gareth. <laughs> I'm going to say two one to Sunderland. I'm going to say two one to Sunderland as well. I'm, I'm just trying to be optimistic. I, I just think, I think the duo win. I think they are really doing the league. I think they are, James. I'm going to say lose on penalties. Um, <laughs> definitely <laughs> scuffs it straight to the keeper. No, no, no. Um, I'm going to say draw. I'm going to go one all draw. That's what's screaming out in my head, but I'm just trying to be um, positive and optimistic. Early goals. We'll get some early goals and then bet bit of pressure, second half, hanging on, ten minutes of injury time, something like that. That's what usually that's well, sports on and that's what happens. Well, we're playing on Sky Sports, so what happens is we'll get beat. Right? <laughs> okay. On that note, I'd like to thank everybody for listening and we will see you again next week. Over and out. <laughs>
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.